Yes, we are back. Are you ready for the shack today? Welcome back to the shack. Welcome back to the shack, all you wonderful people out there that keep your mind awake, your soul alive, and seeking truth in the mysteries. In the mysteries of the universe, you sound like uh, like Slingblade. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I live in a shed and I like mustard and biscuits. You mean the shack? Yeah, you sound like you sound in, like Slingblade. You might be Daniel. Might be Slingblade. Wilbur, Wilbur, what are we talking about today? I can't. You gotta, you gotta introduce yourself uh, in your real voice, not Slingblade. And I'm Wilbur. Come on, enough Slingblade. You know what happened to him at the end of that movie, right? He got murdered. I'll probably end up being murdered. I don't, I don't know if that happened. I made that up. Marvin Hemeyer. Who's that? You don't know who Marvin Hemeyer is? Um, Let me check my uh, address book. No, I don't you know. You know every one of these people. You don't know Marvin Hemeyer. You say names all the time. No, I, yeah, I say names. We're going to talk about the Killdozer. Oh, that Marvin. Marvin Hemeyer. Killdozer. He was born October twenty eighth. Oh, that's that's oh, uh, a week ago. That's my dad's birthday. Is it? Yes, it is. <laughs> he was born on your dad's birthday. Uh, in he died on June fourth, two thousand four. Oh, relatively recent. He was an American automobile muffler. He was an American automobile muffler shop owner, who may have demolished a small town with a mobilized bulldozer in Gernby. Colorado, just before killing himself during his attack after being confronted by law enforcement. So a sad ending to a great story. Hemeyer had various grudges against the Grunby County or Grunby, Grunby, Grunby. I'm gonna go Grunby town. Uh, he had he was neighbors of his muffler shop, local press, various other citizens. So he had uh, he had problems with officers of the town, neighbors. So everyone na- was just being local press jerks yeah. to this guy. Over 18 months, Hemeyer secretly armed a Comista D355A bulldozer with layers of steel and concrete. Steel and concrete? Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. What a man. On Friday, June 4th, 2004, Hemeyer used his bulldozer to demolish the town hall, a house of his former mayor, and several other buildings. And like I said, he killed himself. No yeah. one else was injured. So he was the only one injured during all of this? Yeah. Now, didn't he also, uh, like, warn? We'll, we'll get to that. Okay, okay. So, so you know what? I don't care. What Here's any- the thing is everybody knows the ending. Yeah. Nobody knows how this story started. Star- okay, yeah. And we're going to go over that because so, there was a lot of issues that led to this. So, okay, let's just paint over that real fast. The ending is this man builds this or modifies this bulldozer, bulldozes his town, the buildings, then he welded himself in it. He welded himself inside. He knew he wasn't coming out. Oh, gotcha. See, a man, that's what a man does. A man, a man does something. He commits to it, and he sees it through. That's the definition that's of being man. a man. All right. Let's talk about Marvin's background. All right, Marvin. Born 1951, October 28th, on a dairy farm in South Dakota. My dad was born on a dairy farm. <laughs> he was. Is this your dad? He could be. He's, my dad could do this, but I don't think he has. Wilbur's father, Ted. Ted. <laughs> he, he, uh, he, yeah, anyways, he moved to Colorado because he... Uh, Ted. 
was stationed at Lowry Air Force Base. In 1989, he moved to Grand Lake, Colorado, about 16 miles away from Guernby. His friends started uh, stated that he had no relations into the Guernby Grand Lake area. And his friend named John said that he was a likable person. He and Meyer's brother Ken said that he uh, would bend over backwards for anyone and everyone. As a, yeah, a man does. However, many people would describe Hemeyer as an affable person. Local residents, Christina Baker, claimed that her husband was threatened by Hemeyer after refusing to pay for a disputed muffler repair. Baker said her husband later paid Hemeyer the $124. Yeah. So he, You're trying to stiff this, this man? This first lady, Christina, Yeah. her husband took her muffler to get repaired, took his car, and said, no, I'm not paying you for this. Yeah. So that's the only person so far that's had anything bad to say about him. Was yeah, my husband tried not to pay him, and he, he threatened us. He got mad for some reason. Mm-hmm. Hey, this man trying to support his own local, you know, business, you know, trying to achieve the American dream, and then you're just gonna stiff him on a bill after all of his hard labor he did for you. Uh uh-uh. uh. So gambling, gambling legalization, legalization. I can't talk today. Okay. Was the next kind of big strong suit in his life? So we're going through a lot of the the, the issues leading up to this. Okay. Hemeyer was in strong favor of the gambling legalization and the campaigning for the cause for several occasions, uh, dismissing at least two issues of the newspaper on the, on the, you know, in 1994, a measure was pronounced would have legalized gambling in Grand Lake and Hemeyer was an avid campaigner for it. A reporter said that he nearly came to blows with Hemeyer over the matter when he discussed it. Okay. So he was for it. The newspapers were... The locals ad- didn't want it. Yeah, okay. How many times have we had any... And I don't know about building a casino like right and smack dab in your town. Yeah. But it does bring income. Absolutely it does, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't mind a little casino here. Like, it would be cool. Casinos are fun. They're high energy. So the local press conflict. Okay. So we're going through all the problems. Yeah. He might have had several disagreements of his opinion with the local press. Which yeah he, he which may have led to his targeting of the sky high news building in Guernby. I mean yes yes it did it did okay not that it may have it did because he that was one of the buildings he took out on his list good you know you got to stop that there's one way to stop that corrupt media and one is running a bulldozer through their building the local press ran stories that disagreed with Herbie's view of gambleization uh, stories that promoted the concrete branch plant after it had been taken in additional steps to reduce noise and dust pollution. And the stories that had covered Hernby's, uh, or Hernby, uh, sorry, Hemeyer. I don't know. I was mixing the town with Gernby, his last name. Yeah. It was the line right above it. Yeah. Hemeyer's other conflicts and failures. So they were like, this newspaper was using his name left and right. Man. And all this stuff. Okay, so they're asking for it. This is a small town. Yeah. And he's probably the one guy that's like speaking up about, yeah, we need to bring this casino to bring money and all this. So the newspaper is like fighting with him. Right. On yeah. a very petty level. Yeah. Personal. Yeah. Petty level. The zoning dispute. This was probably the biggest problem that we're going to talk about. Uh, there's a couple of other disputes, but this is this is the big one. Okay. In 1992, he might have purchased two acres of land from the Resolute Trust Co- Corporation, a federal agency organizing to, uh, to handle the assets of failed uh, failed saving loans and accessories. Okay. So he bought it for $42,000 to build a muffler shop. The land was previously a concrete plant and was desired by the Dufa, the Dufchi family. I'm going to go with the Douche family. Okay. 
who Hemeyer outbidded at the auction. Nice. Okay. So, you know. He bought two acres of land to build a muffler shop. Yeah. Prized land that he paid. He bid, you know, it was a bidding. It was auction. Right. I mean, that's that's what you're doing things the right way. He's doing it the right way. The Douchey family really wanted it. But they didn't bid high enough, did mm-hmm. they? So the Douchey family wanted to expand their concrete business by constructing an indoor concrete batch plant and were buying up the land around their current lot, hoping to lease the remaining 23 uh, parcels to small manufacturers, creating a small commercial light industry park. Okay. So they're trying to scoop up the land so they can... All z- their land around them. So they can lease it out, so they can yeah. rent it, basically. So Hemeyer already was against this concrete plant from the beginning because yeah. he said it's, it's extremely noisy and it's pushing dust everywhere. It's like right on town. And it's taking up too much space. Have you ever been around a concrete plant? Um... Not entirely, but the closest is a quarry. The one in no, it's not anything close. Okay, the one in Arkansas. I go around. I'm like two miles away, and it's driving you insane. Really? And the amount, just the light pollution and the dust. Yeah, like it's gonna be everywhere. We were in a in a hunting blind two miles away, and we could read. It was night. It was dusk, and we could read inside this hunting blind. How so? From the light being oh, produced by the from, concrete plant. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. So they wanted, they wanted to make their own industrial park. Uh, when bringing these plans into the town planning commission, they informed that they needed a plan development overlay district permit to construct the plant. The town planning commission also suggested that the Douchey family asked if they could purchase He Meyer's plot to keep the plant away from the hotels and businesses on Route 40. Mm. Cody Douchey later approached Hemeyer and asked if he could buy the land to build an indoor concrete batch plant as a part of the Mountain Park's concrete as- across the road. Hemeyer said he'd sell the land for $250,000. And Cody Douchey agreed to the purchase of the- for this price. However, according to the su- uh, Susan Douchey, Hemeyer changed his mind and increased the price to 375000 Then the deal was worth... Then to a deal worth approximately $1 million. Oh, wow. Okay. So he just kept, ra- according to Susan, he kept raising the price, raising the price, raising the price. Okay. So either he didn't want to sell or mm-hmm. that was that thing. And yeah, that, but the town, was, everybody was kind of forced in his hand. Yeah. Despite not being able to obtain the land, the Ducey family pursued their plans to extend, which included converting the public or which included convincing the public that it was a good idea. During several town meetings, concerns were raised about the dust, the noise, and what it would look like. The Douchey family addressed the concerns by promoting the installation of adding measures against dust and noise to preserve, to pres, to pres, uh, preserve. Thank you, and maintain the plant in concrete. Uh, keep the plant basically from citizens. Right, from throwing all that dust everywhere. I cannot talk today. On January 9, two thousand one, the perma the pre. Preliminary plan for the plant was approved nearly anonymously, or not anonymously. unanimously. Thank you. Yeah, and only he Meyer remained in opposition. Aha! They made the final approval by or Grandabies. Oh my gosh, zoning commission and trustees in April to make this plan go through. I think your brain is slightly melting. I think it is too. <laughs> I'm going to turn into Killdozer. <laughs> Hemeyer tried to appeal the decision, claiming that the construction blocked access to his shop. Which is probably true. Which it never did, according oh. to the judge handling the case. Oh, well, still. Uh, and people inspecting aerial photographs and such all agreed that 
It didn't it block. It wasn't blocking. Okay. So like, you could still get to his shop. So maybe he was just trying to fire back. He also complained that the Environmental Protection Agency and the results or resulted in the Douchey family having the pro- professional noise analysts done. Heemeyer also filled an, air, uh, an array of lawsuits in which were all dismissed. Hmm. So he's got his own gripes with it. He's trying to stand up for himself. There's a little bit of pettiness and, going back and forth. Though. Right. And the city won't is 100% not taking a side every time. Yes. Pretty much, yes. There's because, a little bit of pettiness. Because uh, probably because this family that owns this concrete thing has a lot of money and they have a lot of influence over... They were the largest owner of industry in the town. It makes sense. So, yeah. You're going to go against them? Probably not. According to Killdozer author Patrick uh, Bauer... So he wrote the book Killdozer. Oh, okay. During one of the lawsuits, uh, Douchey made Heemeyer an offer. If he were to drop all the frivolous lawsuits against him, they would give him an easement to connect a sewer line to the new con- from the new concrete plant for free, and Douchey would construct it for free. So saying, because okay. he's like, you know, that's his big problem. That we'll talk about it next to the sewer dispute. But he to open his concrete plant, he was not allowed because of the sewer systems. Okay. So they're like, hey, you drop all the frivolous lawsuits. We'll build it for you and do it. You know, we'll give you the easement and we'll build it for you for free. Just stop suing us like right, every yeah. two minutes. Yeah. He just hung up the phone. Oh, so he didn't want to hear it. No. Okay. So now this he Meyer is starting to turn. You know, he's, he's starting to get himself petty and he's starting to get angry. Oh, he's probably just, you know, he's... I get it, fed up, but... What his American dream he had envisioned and all set up and worked hard for is now getting, like, overshadowed by this douchey uh, family, you know, and their business. And I don't I don't want to say their actual name, but it, it is almost spelled douchey. Yeah. Anyway, that's the only way I can... I've heard it so far. The property Heemeyer acquired had an inadequate solution to sewage. So we're going to talk about the sewage dispute now. Okay. Uh, specifically, putting in a buried concrete truck barrel left there by the previous owner. So that's what the that sewage. Was their septic? Yes, oh, nice. was a concrete barrel off a truck. Nice. Was not. There was problems. Yeah, I, 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 I'm aware of that. There was a lot of issues. I don't think that would fly with the EPA oh, no. today. No, it didn't fly with the EPA then. Okay. Well, yeah, it's not that long ago. Soon after they acquired the property, Heemeyer contacted the sewer district and asked if he could get a sewage line put into his property. The sewage district agreed to annex the property into the sewer district, but the owner had to put in a 100-foot line of lift stations in their own expense, paying for the line from the property to the public main line in the standard, in the standard of the United States. Okay. So they're like, yeah, we'll let you annex onto the sewage system. But you have to pay for it, though. Yeah. Because your property's pretty far away from the main line. Yeah. And it's just going to your property. It's yeah. not like a public thing at this point. But we'll, if you get it to there, we'll take care of the rest. Yeah. So lift station was required because the sewage was, was in an open channel flow. You did not have the lift line would become pressurized, leading it to overflow. So basically, he had to put the lift station in. Or everything would have back pressured into, into his, his house. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So that's what they're saying. Like, you no, know, you have to put this in. Yeah. Otherwise, all the crap it's in this sewage line is going into your muffler shop. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You ever been to a house where that happened? Where it backs up? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's the worst thing in the world. Our buddy in uh, in Columbus had it happen the whole block. Oh. Literally, probably four or five inches in his whole basement. Oh, he had so a basement disgusting. toilet. He happened to have the. We found out he had the lowest toilet. In his part of the sewage system. So it went all to his. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so gross. 
I he just sold the house. Oh, I would too. I'd have burnt it or uh, I just yeah, that's so disgusting. So since the sewage line would have to run uphill, the lift station is what's required to prevent it, the line from becoming pressurized and backflowing. According to a structural engineer, this would have cost Hemeyer approximately seventy thousand dollars to install, excluding electricity costs and maintenance costs. So this is this is a pretty hefty. It's over twice the cost of purchasing the property alone. Yeah. No wonder why you wanted to sell it for so much. The sewer district also told Hemeyer that putting in a septic tank was less expensive alternative. Like, hey, you know, you just may want to do that. Yeah. You know, we, we get it that it's way too much to do this. That's why we didn't put one down there originally. Yeah. Is it stupid? Yeah. You know, so here, you know, get a septic tank. He rejected both options and said that the government was not paying for his sewage line hookup was extortion by government uh, f- fear. I mean, let's let's put it this way: we pay taxes every and everything, everything. They should be able to cover this. I don't care how much it costs. So this is commercial land bought. Yeah, they are not. It's not a living land. It's not a what's that called? Still, there's different rules for it. Still, I mean, the city pays taxes, and everyone's paying taxes for everything. Where's all that money going? I'm not arguing that, but. Should be it should be directly pumped into There's local no infrastructure, law saying that they have to pay for his sewage system. I know, but it's just messed up. So let this, the man live his dream. Well, he could. You just got to put a septic tank in. Yeah, and they're not they're not that expensive. Well, still, it's not the option he wanted. I get that, but that's he bought land at the bottom of a hill. Well, maybe he assumed that was already. Maybe someone lied to him and told him it was already like that. No, I think he really bought that land because the concrete plant wanted it. Oh, okay. I think there's. I think there's a lot of pettiness on both sides happening. Uh, maybe, but he just he's a humble man who wants to run a muffler shop and take care of his community that he just moved into. He wants to be a part of it. He wants to live that lifestyle. And every stop and turn, they're preventing it from happening just because he's an outsider. So, despite these setbacks, he did not withdraw his annex request and subsequently became a part of the sewer district. Oh, he made it. Well, they yeah, he's a part of the sewer district, but he still got to build the thing. Oh, okay. So he didn't so quite make it yet. The city's like, yeah, well, you, you're part of the sewer district. We just don't have you connected. There's no pipe leading to his house. Yeah. So eventually he buried a concrete truck barrel filled to the limit and ran over it. What do you mean? He a, ran over it. A concrete barrel. A concrete truck barrel filled up to the limit with, with waste. Right. He buried it and then ran over it. I don't understand. He fell in concrete barrels full of crap. Yeah. And then he's just picking a big digging a hole and burying them. And then what do you mean ran over it? Like what's he's that? flattening the ground. Oh, okay. Okay. So he's just burying it. He's burying whole crap. concrete truck barrels full of crap. Full of his crap. Okay. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Return it, it. To, return it to the earth. Yeah, because that's going to go good with the EPA. Obviously, they don't care at this point. Oh, no, they care. Nah, they're corrupt. Hemeyer addressed this by pumping his sewage with a gasoline pump into the irrigation ditch that ran behind his property. Okay, and that's just getting a little too petty. So he is, and once he filled the concrete barrel, he's like, fine. He set up a gasoline pump. To pump his crap straight into an irrigation ditch that's not his, that's on a different property by his house or by his muffler shop. Just run, let it run free to nature. Yeah. So I may know from personal experience illegal dumpling of sewages, 
very serious. Yeah. So eventually, complaints of illegal sewage dumping grew louder and louder. The sewage district started to enforce the legal requirements and they had a sewer hookup or a septic tank. They fined Hemeyer $2,500 for it and other city code violations for his business. I'll tell you, $2,500? A lot. Not that much. Not that much. Not that much. I was thinking, this is 2004, maybe in 2001. 2001, maybe in 1901 it was. Uh, I've seen $50,000 a day for businesses. Oh, that's rough. Yeah, so $2,500 for all of his fines and stuff put together. Somebody was trying to be nice, be like, hey, bud, you really got to do this. Right. So nine years after... Uh, he was required to install it either. So it took him a while. Like, you know, so that's the sewage dispute. Okay. What do you think about that so far? I mean, it just seems a little, uh, yeah, maybe he got a little carried away or a little too uh, definitely full of pride. He has no- <coughs> definitely got petty himself. Right. And I think he just kind of snapped. So now the planning and construction of the killdozer. Because he doesn't seem like a guy that really wants help from others. Yeah, and I think he went from being the nice guy to like having one too many issues and instead of just moving. Now he lived there now. He spent his whole life. But he specifically dug his own hole. Like he bought a property and filled to, it and filled it with crap. Well, he bought a property to be petty. And then he realized the property he bought, the reason that it was a bad idea was it wasn't connected to the sewer line. Yeah. And was downhill from the town. Yeah. And crap flows downhill. No so pun intended. His pettiness started digging a deeper and deeper hole. That $2,500 fine, I'm telling you right now, from the EPA is nothing. That should have been your get-out-of-jail card. That should have been your warning of yeah. saying, hey, you know, straighten up. Yeah. That's nothing. I'm telling you, they can fine you $50,000 a day for a business, and what it was doing it from his business site. Yeah. I'm assuming his muffler shop maybe wasn't making that much money. No. They knew they weren't going to get anything out. That's because they blocked the traffic off to it. That's why it wasn't making any money. No. <laughs> You should look at the aerial pictures. It wasn't really. Yeah, they probably had traffic cones and th- people were confused. So the bulldozer. Wrong the signage everywhere. So knowing the zoning dispute was final, he traveled to California, bought a bulldozer at an auction, and shipped it to uh, Gurnaby. He kept it outside of his business with a for sale sign and tried to auction it. But, he, uh, but few paid it any mind. When the bulldozer failed to sell... He saw it as a sign from God to start his mission. So he snapped. Okay. He really started like to snap. Yeah. So there's screws all over the ground from his head. (laughs) He lost his marbles? Yeah. Yeah. He tripped on them too. He sold his property for $425,000. All right. Good deal. 10 times the original asking price. Yeah. To the Trash Co. Company and took out a lease for half the building he previously owned until he had finished some work. On his modifying his bulldozer. Yes. So he sold the land and then leased it. Okay. He erected a wall to separate his space from the rest of the building and other in other prop part of the property. Yeah. They put up this giant concrete wall. So no one could see what he was doing? Yes. Okay. Smart. And he just kept telling everybody to finish some work. Yeah. He also changed all the locks. Of the business. Well, right. You don't want people sneaking in there. But he doesn't own the land anymore. But he's leasing it. But he's not leasing the full thing. Like half, he's only leasing technically half of the building. Okay. It's very odd. Yeah. 
Well, he knew he was a man on a mission. But he's this pettiness is still continuing. Well, where he changed sure. all of the locks of the whole building. You know, when you get when you get shoved into a hole, backed into a corner, you do some erratic things. So he was yeah. With no one in Gurnaby saw him, he quietly worked on the bulldozer and lived on the site. He sold his house and everything. So this was this was he his, Yeah. He had a mission. This was the end goal. It was interesting to observe that I was never caught, Hemeyer wrote. This was the part-time project over a year-and-a-half time period, he says, with the surprising that several men who had visited the shed late a previous year did not notice the modified bulldozer, especially with a 2,000-pound lift fully extended. Somehow, their visions were clouded. Well, you know, you just see a piece of work equipment. You don't think much of it. It didn't look like a piece of work equipment anymore. What, it looked like a little tank? Could you? Yeah. Oh, it did. Yeah. Could you imagine? And this this fed more into his God complex. Tori thought God was talking to him. Yeah. Saying to do this. Yeah. So the bulldozer was modified, like we talked about, which referred to the MK tank from now on in the audio recordings. It fitted with a makeshift armor plating covering the cabin engine and all parts of the tracks. In place of armor, there was over one foot thick, comprising a 5,000 PSI quadrate concrete mix sandwiched between sheets of half-inch thick tool steel. According from the automotive dealer in Denver, uh, the make of ADC hood compromising armor, this made the machine impervious to all small armors fire, resistant to explosives. Nice. Three external explosions and more than 2,000 rounds of ammunition fired at the bulldozer had no effect. So he's a smart man. He knows how to engineer things. Oh, he built it good. Yeah. And So for visibility, the bulldozer was fitted with several video cameras linked to two monitors mounted inside the vehicle's Jeez. dashboard. The camera were also protected by three-inch thick shield of clear bulletproof Lexan, which is like a glass substitute. Compri- or compression air nozzles that were fitted to blow dust away from the video camera lenses. Nice. He so had this thing all thought out. Three inches thick bulletproof basically glass in front yeah. of the cameras and then he had little air hoses to go to, to keep the dust off him. Yeah. Onboard fans and air conditioning were also used to keep uh, him he Meyer cool while he was driving. He also made three gun ports fitted with 50 caliber rifles and 308 caliber semi-automatic rifles. Dang. And several 22 rifles all fitted with half inch thick steel plates. Dang. <laughs> At the time of the demolition, it was also con- er, good, uh, continued three handguns and enough food and water to last two weeks. So he was going to be in this tank for a minute. He was going to, yeah. Gosh, how much room did he have inside of there? None. You ever see the pictures of the inside? I don't think so. He couldn't move. Yeah, until he drank all of his water or whatnot. And well, he was replacing it with feces and peeing. Oh, he didn't have a porthole in the bottom? No, there. no, because somebody could have put a grenade in it. I guess. On June 4, 2004, Hemeyer drove his armored bulldozer through the concrete plant, the town hall, the Sky High newspaper offices, the uh, Gamble's General Store, the Maple Street Builders, the Mountain Park Electric Company, the Liberty Saving Banks, the Copycat Graphics, and the wall of the former business, the home of the former mayor, in which the mayor, 82-year-old widow, still resided. Wait, what? The mayor's what? The mayor's 82-year-old widow oh, still resided. Wow. The mayor has been dead. And she, so she, he ran over her. 
his. She was in the house. Yeah, and he bulldozed it. She didn't, but she didn't die. She didn't die. Right. So we gave her a, a, a notice. I'm no, sure. I don't think he knew she was in there. Oh, gotcha. I fully don't think he he didn't. I'm not saying he, he didn't care. Like once he gave his little warning, which we'll talk about. Yeah. He did not care. Well, he should have known by then. So he's driving through. All right. And a hardware store owned by another man. He and I are named in the lawsuit as well as a few others. So this one hardware store guy that he named, he had a pettiness list. Okay. Emergency dispatchers use the reserve 911 emergency system to notify many residents and the property owners of the rampaging and to evacuate. So this is where the story gets a little wishwashy. Okay. They, it is said that he called in to them. He didn't call all these towns and places like that. I've heard that said, and that's wrong. Yeah. There's a little bit of evidence to say he was the one that called himself in and say, hey, you better get everybody to evacuate. I'm coming. Right, yeah. But there's not, there's no hard proof to that statement, whether he did or did not. Right. There's no way to prove it, whether one way or the other. Yeah. So he and I apparently had no intentions of leaving the cabin once he entered it. Once he tipped the lid shut, he knew he wasn't getting out, the Grand County Commissioner Dune Daly said. The attack lasted for two hours and seven minutes, damaging 13 buildings. It knocked out natural gas services for the town hall and the concrete plant, damaged trucks, destroyed parts of the utility service centers. Despite the great damage of property, no one besides Hemeyer, a self-inflicted gunshot wound, was killed in the event. The damage is estimated to be $7 million, $2 million of which was the concrete plant, uh, which was un- uninsured. Oh, the concrete plant? Yeah. Oh, he got his revenge. He also destroyed several trees that offered the buildings of small business owners, lamps, roads, signs, and curbs. Yeah, he just went on a rampage. So you want to go into the timeline? Of his rampage? Yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, we got we to gotta sort it all out. Around 2.30, or so it's around 2.23, Mountain Standard Time, he might started his attack. The first target was the Mountain Park Concrete. The owner, owned by Douche, at the time of the attack, only the main douche was there at oh. the concrete plant, screening topsoil at the gravel pit. When he got notified over his radio that there was an explosion at his shop at the front. Imagine, like, there's an explosion, boss. Oh, gosh. And look up, and there's just this killdozer yeah, this going thing. through his shop. Yeah. Like, oh, I may have pushed him a little too far. Like, what is going on? Are we at war? A deputy sheriff from the office tried to shoot the bulldozer with no effect. Cody Douche, oh, I there I said his name, engaged in the bulldozer, the front end loader. He started fighting this thing with a front end loader. <laughs> Did not win. No. Uh, during which he Meyer fired 1350 caliber rounds into Douche's vehicle. Good Lord. So it's, it, you, I had to pay to see this. So Cody Douche. Gets in his front end loader and it's pushing back the killdozer a little bit. Yeah. And then the front gun turret swings. It's a 50 cal. That's the thing they use to take out tanks. How is that guy not? How did he not die? 13 rounds. Well, I don't think he was aiming at Cody, to okay. be fair. I think he was aiming at the into the engine to kill of the it, machine. Yeah. Just boom, boom. There had been photo- or photos taken by an electrician uh, Miller who had happened to have been across the street of the concrete plant that day. 
Man. He's witnessing this. You can find photos of this, this, these two vehicles boxing it out. You know what this would be like back in the day um, if, like, two dinosaurs came into a fight, like apex predators? This is probably what it would look like. Except one of them had a flamethrower. Exactly. One you of know, it's like a T-Rex versus a Spinosaurus, except now the Spinosaurus has a gun turret. One of them always wins. There's more powerful. So after having finished with the concrete plant, Hemeyer turned into the aggregate avenue, heading south towards the town, approximately five miles per hour. This thing was even slower than these bulldozers normally go because out it was like yeah, eight or nine times weight, the was, weight. Yeah, all that concrete and steel. And that's actually probably why the uh, the front end loader was a little bigger. Yeah, traditionally, but than the killdozer. But it was so heavy, he couldn't move it. All right, exactly. Yeah, but also for the killdozer's downfall, it was also too heavy. For itself? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Yeah, you know. There's a give and take and everything. The he, local radio announcer went on to the street and broadcasted the event live oh, man. to his listener, the first podcaster. Imagine having that audio. <laughs> oh, it, you can listen to it. Oh, you can? Yeah. Oh, it's we, public. As the prost- or as as a precaution, six patients from the medical center were evacuated. Yeah. Uh, Hemeyer then uh, Hemeyer had installed two rifles in firing ports on the inside of the bulldozer, firing 15 bullets from his rifle at the power transformers and propane tanks. You got to take out the main energy sources. Oh, no, he was firing at them to cause explosions and fires. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know. uh, He had tanks (laughs) rupture and explode. Anyone within one mile heard the explosions. Oh, for sure. And were in danger of being blown up. The sheriff said, ah, but nobody was hurt. Come Twelve on. police officers and residents of senior citizen center complex were in such a range. So this senior citizen complex was full of old people and he's shooting at their propane tank. <laughs> it was a miracle. Ooh. No one else was hurt. He knew what he was doing. Like no. I said, he was a calculated smart man. At this point, he uh, at this point, he didn't care. Oh, come on. Nobody was injured. Nobody so was hurt. He might have... Fi- no, people nobody were hurt. Died. Nobody died. A lot of it. people were injured. Yeah. I said nobody were killed. Right. And he didn't kill nobody. A you lot know, of people were injured. Sticks and stones may break my bones. But, but explosions in the, bullets it, will harm. But the killdozer never killed me. He might then fired many bullets from his semi-automatic rifle <laughs> at the douches when douche tried to stop the assault at the concrete plant by using a scraper, which he had pushed aside... With Hemeyer's bulldozer. Gosh. Yeah, imagine. So you know what Douche actually, got back in a different vehicle and was trying to fight again. You know what it would actually be like? Huh. It's like the modern day, but full life-size version of BattleBots. Yes. So he, or Douche got into a different vehicle and started was following him, yeah. trying to stop him again. Oh, this should inspire people. This should be a BattleBot thing where you have I to think ride there's a in a movie, your, isn't there? You have to ride in your own vehicle. Like, you build your own and fight in it. Later, Hemeyer fired on two state patrol officers before he had fired at himself. The sheriff deputy also note, no, or also noted that 11 of the 13 buildings he Meyer bulldozed were occupied until moments before the destruction, so, including buildings that were still occupied during the destruction. Ooh, that's not good. The grocery store he went through yeah. was full of people. Well, a good thing that thing only went five mile per hour. So you had time to get out of the uh, way. Except he went through the front door of the grocery store. Nobody could get out. Oh, okay. Like Fine. literally everybody's like piled against the back wall as this bulldozer is going through. <laughs> At the town library, which had a basement in the town hall, a children's program was in progress when the incident began. Oh, that's not good. The town hall had been demolished after the fact. 
Gosh. So the good thing they evacuated everyone in time. Uh, the kids were stuck in the basement. So they didn't evacuate them? No. Well, good this thing. happened in minutes. Good thing they lived. Yeah. There's always a silver lining. One officer dropped a flashbang grenade down the bulldozer's exhaust pipe, which had no apparent effect. Lo- local and state, because they didn't have rail grenades. Yeah. So he's like, I hope this does something. Nothing. Didn't. Including a SWAT team walked behind and beside the bulldozer, occasionally trying to fire inside the armored bulldozer, which was impervious to their shots. Attempting to disable the bulldozer's cameras while gunfire with gunfire failed as the bullets were unable to penetrate the three inch thick bulletproof plastic glass. At one point, uh, under Sheriff Glenn uh, climbed on top of the killdozer and rode it like a Bronco bust busting through trying to figure out a way into it uh, to get a bullet inside the dragon is what he said. Yeah. There's, there's only one way I think in. However, he was forced to jump off to avoid being hit by debris as he was going through a different building. <laughs> My gosh. They eat thermite. That's the answer. You needed thermite. I don't think it would have, I don't think it would have got through enough. Huh? I don't think they could have painted enough thermite on to make like to make through these well, you don't feet. Have to, you have to feet paint of concrete and steel. You don't have to paint thermite on. I mean, you just pile it up and it and it will melt. Thermite melted the steel beams at the base of different episode. Yeah, no, oh, a different episode, but it did. It did. It'll melt. So why he was attacking the Liberty Savings Bank? It understood or. It, it was understood that he had aimed directly at the corner office where a woman who was a part of the zoning board worked. She was in her office as he starts trying to peel through it. Well, at this point, local authorities, the Colorado State Patrol, feared that they were running out of options in, in terms of firepower. They had already approximately fired over 200 rounds. Man. And they were insufficient up to this point. And Hemeyer would soon turn against civilians in Gurnaby. Governor Bill Owens allegedly considered authorizing the National Guard to to use either Apache attack helicopters equipped with Hellfire missiles or a two-man fire team equipped with a Javelin anti-tank missile to destroy the bulldozer. The only reason they didn't is all the people are still around. Still there. Yeah, it's still happening. Yeah. Gosh, I would have just, if I was that one dude, I would have uh, used the backhoe and just dug a big hole. Uh, they didn't have time. Like, this all happened in minutes. No, I know. I know. Minutes. Instead of fighting it. As late as 2011, Governor Owen's staff uh, denied considering such course action. So they didn't, so the government didn't want to send in the National Guard, or they did? No, the, the the National Guard was fine. They were talking about authorizing the Apache Hell. Oh, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the Hellfire missiles and yeah. the Javelin anti-tank. They're missile. like, yeah, no, maybe not. And then afterwards, they were like, no, we, we never thought about using that. No. Yeah. So members of the State Patrol, however, claim that the contrary. They're like, yeah, we were talking to the governor on the phone. He was like, yeah, we can. We have a Apache helicopters. Or, you know, what are we good? What are we doing? They ultimately decided against it due to the potential collateral damage of a missile strike in the heart of Gurnaby <laughs> being significantly higher than Hemeyer could have caused with his bulldozer. Yeah, probably. Probably. Because it's it only going five miles an hour. The I mean, little kids and the old people are the ones that were in the most danger. It's like, yeah, exactly. Why not just take a stealth bomber and just run Ult- up, throw through the whole town? Ultimately, it was deemed unnecessary when Hemeyer became trapped in the basement of the Gam- uh, Gamble's hardware store. Oh, which he had fell in. owned by one of the town's board members. So he broke through or demolished it and fell in the basement. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Various problems arose when Hemeyer destroyed uh, Gamble's hardware store. 
The radiator of the bulldozer had been damaged. The engine was leaking various fluids. The bulldozer engines failed, and Hemeyer dropped tread into the store basement, which he could no longer get out of. Hmm. Well, there it was his first mistake. I mean, the only thing that could repair his killdozer was the hardware store, and he just ran through it. About a minute later, at 4.30, one of the SWAT team members who had swarmed around the machine reported hearing a single gunshot from inside the cab. It was later determined he might have shot himself in the head with his three fifty seven caliber handgun. Dang. Police first used explosives as an attempt to remove the steel plates and were fearing booby traps. But after the explosive failed, they cut through it with an oxycetylene cutting torch. Nice. Okay. After getting inside, they found the access to the hatch and enough food and water for about two weeks. Grand County Emergency Management Director Jim stated that the authorities were able to access and remove uh, Hemeyer's body at about 2 a.m. the next day. It took him a whole day to cut Get through his, this thing. Jesus. I mean, that's well-engineered piece of machinery. Took Be- you a year and a half to do. After that, many town records and archives were destroyed along with the town hall. Defenders of Hemeyer said that they made a point of not hurting anybody during this bulldozing rampage. Hmm. Ian Daughtery, the bakery owner, said Hemeyer went out of his way not to harm anyone. Cody Douche stated, though, if Hemeyer truly didn't want to hurt anybody, he would have plum- or he would have uh, he would have plundered the center of town on a weekend. Or sorry, Cody Douche stated if Hemeyer truly didn't want to hurt anybody. He would have plundered the center of town on a weekend, not a weekday, when most of the businesses were empty. Hmm. Well, I mean, I don't know if I can agree with that statement. You like know? the town hall would have been empty. Yeah. The but, senior center would have been empty. But then uh, people would the have. The kids' school in the basement would have not been in session. See, but the fact that they were all there, they were all aware that it was happening. They could all communicate. to Four-year-olds get- in a basement were trapped and thought they were going to die. Well, you know. Stop it, trying. That's to- life, kids. Grow up. I mean, you got to deal with this stuff eventually. He's doing them all a service. So the sheriff department said that the fact that no one was injured was just due it was not due to good intention, much more on the hands of good luck. Mm. And I agree with this. There were people in every building. Uh, he did not uh, care whether uh, he hurt somebody or not. I'm not saying it was his goal to hurt people. Right. But he did aim for certain people and hoping they were in their in, in their places they were being. Like the mayor's wife? Yeah. The 82-year-old widow. And the, the main lady on the board at the bank, he, he specifically targeted her, her office first. Her house? Or it was her office? It was her office where yeah. she was working. Well, you know, she she shouldn't have made mistakes. On April 19, 2005, the town announced plans to scrap uh, He Meyer's bulldozer. The plan involved dispersing individual pieces as many scrap as many separate scrapyards to prevent souvenir taking. Well, Although no one other than He Meyer was killed in the incident. The modified bulldozer has been referred to now as the killdozer. Hmm. It's unclear whether the Allison uh, 1944 short story killdozer or the 1974 adaptation had any like per, like any pre-thought for him. If he yeah. had seen these source materials, it was like, okay, I can do this. Okay. Yeah. Because there, there was a 1944 short story about a guy in a big piece of machinery called Killdozer. Okay. So he's like... This is possible. Mm-hmm. In recent years, Hemeyer gained a small internet following for his bulldozer attack, comparable to that of the Unabomber, following the same similar in the same similarities in the community, with people politicizing and justifying his actions as reasonable. An example of such a group is the 
Boogaloo Boys. Hmm. I don't know much about them. I've heard of them, but I don't know much about them to make an opinion. So the last little thing is that they have here is motivations. In search for Heemeyer's house in Grand Lake, Colorado, turned up plans for the bulldozer on his PC. Additions are writing he left on the wall of his shed. Heemeyer recorded three audio tapes explaining his motivations for his attack. Ooh. The tapes can, uh, <laughs> contain two separate recordings on each side, so a total of six recordings. He mailed these to his brother in South Dakota shortly before he stepped into the killdozer for the last time. Heemeyer's brother turned in the tapes to the FBI, who then t- turned to set them to the Grand County Sheriff Department. So the, the FBI, FBI didn't want anything to do with this. They knew. Now huh? that it happened. No, this is after. Oh, okay. He, his brother got the tapes like the after. day of or the day after. Oh, okay. I'm just going to say this. This is 2001. Still say that's part of the FBI's like the way they function. They just know stuff and let it go and the, then blame others for after the fact. So that's the, this happened, you know, several days it took to get the thing because he mailed it the day like the day before okay. he started his attack. So going from Colorado to South Dakota. Well, let him slide this time. I'm not saying the FBI is good. I'm just saying. In this instance, they were like, not a lot we can do with this now. Yeah. Hmm. Here you go, county sheriff department. Deal. You deal with it. We have a lot of other things we're trying to accomplish. Below our pay grade. We're too good for this. These tapes are about two and a half hours in length. Dang. The first recording was made on April 13th, 2004. The last recording was made on May 22nd, 13 days before the rampage. Maybe he was the first. Maybe he, Marvin was the first podcaster. God built me for this job, he Meyer said in this first recording. He also stated that it was God's plan that he had not been married or have a family so that he could be in this position to carry out such an attack. He says, I think God will bless me to get this machine done, to drive it, to do the stuff I have to do. He said, God bless me in advance for this task I am about to undertake. It is my duty God has asked me to do this. It came across that I am going to carry out, and I'm going to carry it out in God's name. Uh, you know, they say God works in mysterious ways. I don't I don't think you can say that for this one. I mean, this is about as mysterious as it gets. I think he was having a schizophrenic break or something similar. I don't know. I think he's. I think he was. He might be right. Investigators later found He Meyer's handwritten list of targets of 107 <laughs> people oh, no. who he thought had wronged him. The oh, douche no. family was at the top of this list. I'm sure they were. He probably had every one of their names on there. It was written on his list as douche efforts. Oh, wow. The list also included the local Catholic church, which he did or which he did not damage yet, various other buildings, companies, judges, political people, newspaper editors, anyone who had cited against him in any of his past disputes. Fair enough. Notes found by investigators after the incident indicated that the primary motivation for the bulldozed rampage was his plan to stop the concrete plant from being built near his shop. The note indicated that he had grudges over the local zoning practices and improved. He said, I was always willing to be a reasonable until I was beaten until I had become unreasonable. He wrote <laughs> sometimes reasonable men do unreasonable things in his own words. That's true. He's not wrong. Now, if you look at these notes, they definitely, uh, I'm not a psychologist. Okay. Uh, a However, lot of people have claimed that these notes, and you can kind of see the thread, go increasingly. It's like a, what do you call that? A resonating chamber. An echo chamber? Yeah. Okay. He was in his own head. Yeah. So the notes got more and more and more depraved. Mm-hmm. They started with him like trying to like do legal stuff, and then 
it seemed like he was having some kind of psychological break. Yeah, you know, every man gets can only get pushed so far. And then halfway through the notes, God comes in. He And what it seems like is he self-ordained himself to justify his actions. Mm-hmm. I personally believe he had no care whether he killed anybody or not. Hmm. It doesn't seem like he did. It doesn't seem, but that's that can't hold even up in a court of like, law. It even seemed like he specifically targeted individuals. Uh, like pointing well, a fifth, pointing a fifty cal BMG rifle at a man. I was just, I don't think it seemed that he was targeting individuals. He a hundred percent targeted individuals when he had their list of names of yeah. places, and then he went after and bulldozed their house or business. Yeah, I, I think that was pretty much pre uh, premeditated. So I don't know if he was having, like he said, you know, he was, he was justifying like never being married, never having kids, never having close family, all this stuff, like. It really seemed oh. like he was starting to have some breaks. This ain't good for me. <laughs> this ain't good for me. At least you're an uncle. Yes, that's true. You have, have a good family. You have a good family. I still have my own. Yet. You got a tortoise. Oh, that's right. I started one. You're right. You know what? Birds, tortoises. I wouldn't count the birds as much as the tortoise because the oh, yeah. tortoise will be there for your whole life. Right. Well, the, yeah, you're right. The birds are food. They're just food. They're a crop. The tortoise, though, yep. That's, I guess that's step one. All right. I'm no, I'm, I've, that's one step away that from the killdozer path for me, man, I'm just surprised if he would have just took more practical route on maybe a less damaging, he could have just strapped, you know, a, you know, a fun toy to the front and took that to his enemies and called it the dildozer and just took his care of his problems that way. And, you know, maybe not killed or damaged property, but damaged I think orifices. He was, I mean, he, and he killed himself he knew he was going to kill himself. Yeah, I mean, he, he welded himself in there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, is I don't understand. Here's the thing that points to some psychologically unhinged ideas is he had enough food and water for two weeks. Yep. He welded himself in. Yep. He knew he was never coming out of there. Right. But he wanted to see how much destruction maybe he, he could do. He did not have enough fuel for more than that day. Oh, gotcha. When it's a bulldozer, they get refilled every day or every other day. Yeah. And especially pushing. It was nine times heavier. Than it was supposed to be. Oh yeah. So he it's was gonna use burning nine times through fuel, fuel yeah. extremely fast. Hmm. So there was a lot of like, flaws. A lot of stuff was built extremely well, obviously, but then like there was just big gaps in logic that God didn't think of when they, teaching him. God to... was him in his own mind. <laughs> it was like split personalities almost. He was talking to himself. I guess maybe if you're push, you know, when you're pushed to the limits of stress, when the system that we live in today, you know, pushes a man so far, a man with a dream, a man with a vision, and then outside forces come in to smother that light, that flame you have burning inside you. When these outside forces of darkness come in to smother that vision, that dream, that burning desire to uh, uh, achieve and live in life. But he was extremely petty himself well, well that's well that that happened after his flame was constantly being smothered you know he he uprooted his life found a humble piece of two acre land to build his dream on and then this douche family comes in and like tries to stop it and you know he was reasonable at first and then when was it, he reasonable you know when he first moved there and they he was gonna sell it to him and then they're like then he realized the value of his property, and they're trying to undercut him, you know, lowball him. So he's like, oh, no, wait, it's actually more. And they still are like— You know, and he sold it for less than their second offer right? after well, he backed out of the deal. Well, I'm sure he had other things. Well, I think at that point he was like, okay, I need this much money to build 
the killdozer. You're going to give me, all right, this much money? Sure, that's all I need. That's all I need because his whole priorities change at that point. Because, you know, when a man is pushed to his limits and he's stressed out, this is the things that happens. This is what happens in life. See, I think a lot of his grief in his life was caused by himself for being petty. The first big thing was I do think he bought the land out of pettiness and didn't realize how many problems were going to be associated with trying to put his business on that piece of land. And maybe, maybe that all those problems that were initially, he was screwed. parcels he could have bought and he bought that one. But maybe that was the one, you know, that he just had his heart set on. It's one, you know, when you like go to the, um, you go to, uh, let's say like the humane society and you know, you see all the dogs there. Yeah. You feel so you want them all downhill with a crap tank. Yeah. You see them, but you see that one that just, you know, had a rough, you know, go about and you just feel sympathy for it. And you just, your heart is just so big and caring. You want to take care of that you know, animal. That's what he happened to old Marvin here. He just seen that piece of land that, you know, he knew in his heart, I can make something out of this. I can be successful. It can happen. And then, you know, after he just does it, they didn't tell him that the crapper was going to back up or be such a problem. I don't think he asked questions. I don't think he asked questions. But they probably didn't tell him in in beforehand when he made his humble purchase of $40,000 of what is your real honest opinion? I I am this. I'm unpacking this. I want you to, because we're we're pretty, we've gone a long time. This is straight from the Wilbur's, uh, you know, the recesses of him. I think this is what happened. He was just a humble man trying to make a humble start. He was probably going to start a family there too. Like I don't think so. I'll move into this small town. I'll meet me a local girl. You know, we'll fall in love. It'll be no, the, the story. The town didn't like him. This, yeah, of cl- I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, he had good intentions going in, and they were the ones that, like, forced his that forced his uh, hand and forced his, changed his vision of what he had in his heart. It was those outside forces that he wasn't predicting on or pre- preparing for. And he just, maybe he was just so uh, humble of heart, he wasn't expecting everyone to do him wrong like that. You know, and then that built up, built up, and he was so kind, you know, he wouldn't, you know, he didn't express that or, you know, these things bottle it, he bottled it up, you know, and you know, when you bottle up your emotions, they, one day that cork's going to pop and one day it just built and built, you know, he was trying to be humble and they just pushed the man too far to reach, he reached his boiling point. Once that pot boils over, you can't put that back. It's going to reach the burner and sizzle and pop and cause messes and, that was his life at that point. It happened. Don't push. Don't let let men be men. Let them live their lives. Let them live free. I think you've it's picked this, the wrong lessons no, it's, out of this story. It's the system that pushes men. This is a perfect way to personify what happens when you push a humble man too far. From achieving the American dream. A man that will fight the system. You can't even say this with a straight face. The man, yeah, What do you mean? I'm straight as an arrow. Is a man who will fight the system. You know, maybe this is a microcosm. We all need to just fight back at the system to get back to the way God intended us to live life. Free. Without under the thumb of the man and his taxes and his regulations. And you can't dump your shit in the back or their crap in the darn it. Poop. Okay, in the in the back ditch, you know, on someone else's property, just live free. If they didn't want him to do that, they shouldn't have fined him. They should have went and took care of it themselves, like a man. 
they, they didn't find him until well after. Well, yeah, they should have fought him. Fist fought. That's how men dis- dis- settle disputes. Not getting this legal system involved with all of our petty differences. So, so he tried to use a system against him, and, and look, it infected his, it infected his pure heart and mind, and became dark. That's what happened. That's what happened. It's the system's fault. That's can turn a free man into a problem for the system. I'm going with that he got petty himself. He dug his own hole, and then there were already people against him. But he dug his own hole when he bought that parcel of land, and then he wouldn't back down after that. And just the hole kept getting deeper and deeper. And then he had some kind of psychological break. Clearly. And then like the the key to the real supporters of this guy is that they're ignored. Keep in mind there were old people in the community in the old in the elderly center. There were kids in the basement that he ran over and he fell through a different basement. I want to make that clear that that was a possibility when he was going over top of the kids. Maybe God protected there them. There were people yeah. I I think don't think God had a lot to do with this story except keeping a lot of people alive. Maybe that was his mission was to just tear down the system, you know, expose the follies of our, the system we live in. You know, nobody was killed. You know, maybe that was, maybe that was, uh, what's the word, uh, uh, divine intervention that nobody was killed. Those kids have committed suicide since then. <laughs> the trauma of the killdozer. Yeah. And they were four and five years old. Have you seen that video of like, have you, have you been around a 50 cal BMG gunshot? <laughs> it's loud. I know that. No, I haven't been around, but I know how and loud it is. They're shooting propane tanks and they're exploding. And now they're trapped in this space. They can't get out. Yeah. And you're just, as the building is literally, falling on top. Literally World War Three above them or around them. <laughs> yeah, it's happening. There you broke character a little bit. What do you mean? <laughs> just your normal voice came back, not your speech voice. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> my defiant voice. I but, support Marvin and his mission. I, you're saying he, that into a recorded he, microphone. Hey, I mean, the system, there's things that are wrong with the way we live in society and the systems we live in. And, you know, this is just showing you, like... I really do think... We should restructure how we live life and how we value life and how uh, we value our communities and our neighbors. And we need to be more uh, open to different ideas. Because he was never really close to anybody. Right, yeah. But he just wanted... Maybe he wanted to be, and they rejected him. I kind of am leaning towards that he may have had some long-term underlying mental health issues. And that, to the douche family's credit... Is that the guy that the main fought the main man, the main douche, ke- kept getting different pieces of equipment and trying to fight him? And like, keep in mind, he was on an unprotected, yeah, front end loader, yeah, fighting the killdozer as he fired 13 <laughs> 50 cal BMG shots into his piece of equipment. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think that through. Uh, no, he was trying or, to. He, didn't he was know, just trying to save people. Yeah, he didn't know what he was preparing for or getting into. He brought a he brought a fist to a gunfight. <laughs> yeah, and he, but then he went and got the scraper, which is a littler piece of machinery. Yeah, and he was just trying to like T- ram it into anything he could break, toss him, tip him over. Maybe like, I think he kept aiming for the tracks, trying yeah. to get like trying to get caught up in the tracks. And, yeah, so we can't move. Yeah, mm-hmm. man. No, I do think like this. This the story of pettiness. The white whale is a very white whale story. Yeah. Is that Marvin started fighting his white whale? That there really wasn't an individual whale. It was. It was. Yeah, I don't know some what it kind was. of mental health break. I don't know what it was. But the, but, the real supporters of him are insane. What? To hear some of their stuff. 
I mean, if if he did have, I mean, I think he did have a mental break. But was it was he born with that, or was it the way uh, society molded him to lead this to that path? Both, you know. So I think he, I personally think he had some mental troubles, and when he moved out to, you know, after he got out of the Air Force, yeah. And then Alcina you know, could be military messed him up. I'm not even saying that that's not a possibility. But then after he moved into the town locally, yeah, and he just started causing fights. Yeah, he was the only one that wanted the casino, and I think that was the first thing that really irked him. Against he he turned himself against the town on that issue. Mm, yeah, that's right. But I mean, and then after that, everything think else the, was against him. Think of the traffic. And the foot traffic that could have bought to the town, you but know. He was, the he was only, a visionary. He was the only person that wanted it. You yeah. know what you do? You move to a town with a casino. I guess. I, but he wanted his humble muffler shop. Just earn a living. And to be fair, so, to the town, the, it was not his town. I he know. picked it and moved there and wanted to change stuff. How much do you hate about that when people come to our town and want to change everything? Well, the problem is they want to change it to things that are... Negative in the long run. He is. There's a lot of problems that come with casinos. Yeah, but you know, like local gambling addicts and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, those are bad already. Alcoholism. Yeah, I mean, but you know, there's a lot of the community to regulate and you know take care of that. Especially this being a Catholic community. Is it? Yeah. Oh yeah, he had a bailout problem with the Catholic Church. Oh, Uh, where he was from. Yeah. No, no, the town that you destroyed. Yeah, that's what I meant. Where not not our local town, his no, his local town. Yeah. Oh, then yeah, that can be a lot of problems with that that community. Yeah. There's a lot of problems. Especially he's the only one screaming. Yeah. I want a casino. So now I support him even more. You know, I think I think I think he was pushed. I'm gonna end the call here in a second. Yeah. Do you really want to end on that? The man, Marvin, was pushed too far. He was he was living in a system that suppresses men's natural desire to succeed and humbly serve their community. Uh, that's what happened here. He just, you know, moved to the wrong area. It was probably his first folly, you know, and if, had he moved to the right location where the people accepted him, accepted men and their visions to improve society. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.